Huntsville, Alabama in 1946, a city that was as American as apple strudel. From LA Times Studios comes Paperclip, a podcast sponsored by Amazon Studios and inspired by its Emmy-eligible dramatic series Hunters, starring Al Pacino and Logan Lerman. Join host Michael Ian Black as he teams up with a Cold War scholar to explore Operation Paperclip a real-life top-secret program that brought Nazi scientists to the American heartland to work on government aerospace and medical research projects. Available now on Apple Podcasts and all other platforms. Welcome to another episode of Strictly Business, the podcast in which we talk with some of the brightest minds working in media today. I'm Andrew Wallenstein with Variety Intelligence Platform. New firepower has come to the streaming wars with the launch of HBO Max last week. It joins a crowded field, including another holdover from the world of premium cable television, Stars. This Lionsgate-owned brand has graduated to the streaming game as well. And with me today to talk about the road ahead for stars is its CEO, Jeff Hirsch. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Before we get started, we must acknowledge Jeff is making Strictly Business podcast history today on this, the 113th episode. You, sir, have the distinction of being the first return guest we've ever brought back for a second episode. Well, I guess that means maybe I did something right the first time. Who knows? Something to put on the top of the resume. It's uh, it will be under my skills, hobbies, and interests for sure. <laughs> so before we get uh, to talking about the state of stars, I-, I do want to point to a statement your company, like many different companies across America, r- released over this tragic weekend in the United States. It reads, we cannot stand silent while our black communities are under the weight of violence, discrimination, and injustice. You go on to support organizations like Color of Change and the NAACP. Uh, Look, Jeff, I commend you and your company for taking this stand. I also want to understand what kind of questions a company has to ask itself at a time like this about what its responsibilities are. That's a great question. You know, I think for stars, there really wasn't that many questions about what our responsibilities are in terms of our communities. We have served underserved audiences, you know, as part of our programming mandate for years um, we have put uh, underserved voices and unheard voices and fresh faces on the air, not only on the air, but behind the screen and, and in the writers' rooms and directors, you know, for the last 10 years. And so this has been core to what STARS does as a company. And so, you know, when this uh, unfortunate incident had broke across America, it was very clear to us that we needed to act and we needed to speak out. Well, if that wasn't disruptive enough... You know, we're also smack in the middle of a pandemic here, which, you know, I have to ask, what has the impact been for your business? The pandemic has been, you know, it's been very trying, I think, for all businesses, including ours. Um, But it's been, you know, with people staying at home and sheltered in place, uh, people are looking for fresh content. And as a non-ad supported, you know, premium content layer that has fresh content coming on almost every week. It's been a place where people have found content and continue to see and watch the service. We've seen viewership domestically on linear up 33% on our app and our digital sides up 44%. And we've seen those same kind of viewership numbers increase in the 50 countries we are in outside the U S as well. So there, there's been some benefit there, but my guess is there's probably been some production disruption. 
So the, the, we've been fortunate that we really produce a year in advance. And so everything that's coming on to our fiscal 21 or 20 slate has been pretty much in post-production when the pandemic hit. And so we've been able to be very creative using virtual editing rooms and sound rooms and kind of finish most of the content that we have coming on the air through at least March. And so we're in really good shape with fresh content. We were, when it hit, we were in the middle of Outlander season five, which was, I think, the best season to date. And the viewership reflects that. And so we had fresh content there. We launched uh, the third and final season of Vita uh, in the middle of the pandemic and ended just last night and to a great, great uh, ending of the story. And then we launched a new show called Hightown uh, three weeks ago, which is with Bruckheimer Television, which I think is going to be one of the best new shows on television this year. You couple that with uh, all the Sony Pay One movies that we've been getting once a time upon in Hollywood, Zombieland and the 4,000 library titles that we have, it's a, it's a pretty compelling service when you're stuck at home looking for something to watch. So, um, and then you go overseas to the 50 countries we have outside the US. So not only do we have the star shows, but we have shows like The Great and The Act and Castle Rock and Killing Eve. And so we've got the best of global SBOT outside the US. And so it's been, um, we've been okay in terms of production. You know, we are in a good position where I think if we're back in production by the mid to late summer, that we'll be in good shape for the following year as well. Okay, we'll see what happens there. I mean, it's got to be hard to sort of, it's the moving target of this pandemic. We don't know when society comes back to normal, how long it stays back to normal. Um, Has that been a challenge in terms of long-term planning? I think all, you know, with the moving, you move in this list, you move in the football, you know, it's kind of hard to kind of pick a spot, as you said, but I think as an organization, you have to pick a date and go for it. And so we picked a very early date on uh, return to production, return to the office. And so that our protocols are ready to go. We're prepared. We have a great plan. Uh, and then as soon as the governments allow us to start going back to work, uh, hopefully we'll be one of the first out of the gate back to production. So you mentioned, I mean, you know, the pandemic has created some circumstances that have helped drive subscriber growth here and abroad. I have to ask though, is any of that done by, it seems like there's a lot of players out there in the streaming space that are doing a lot of free and, and, you know, Quibi, Groku, all these different brands. Does that sort of juice the numbers a bit? Uh, it may for them, but we, we took a much different strategy. One, when we sat down, you know, we've, we've built a, direct-to-consumer product of scale. We've got over 2 million subscribers on our own app uh, where we built the data engine behind it. And so we've been looking at the data for years in terms of offers, free offers, seven-day free, 30-day free, what the conversion is to paid, what the lifetime value is of those customers. And we've never been big fans of, of 30 days free. It just doesn't, it doesn't you both for the business long-term. And when the pandemic hit, we actually took a much longer view of what was gonna go on. We thought this would last much longer than 30 days. And so we actually put longer term offers in the marketplace at reduced rate. So the consumer, economically challenged consumers could actually get the service and afford the service, but would have it for a longer period of time. So we were in the market with a $5 for three months offer and a $25 upfront for six month offer um, that we ran through the pandemic. And we've seen great you know, retention on the back end of those from our using it historically. And so we feel really good that not only are we seeing a spike in consumers because they're home looking for content, but we'll be able to keep them long-term on the other side. Well, you're also coming off a quarter, though, where you've had some issues, uh, most specifically with the 
losing uh, linear placement for stars on Comcast, which uh, I think was a loss of about over 6 million mm-hmm. linear subscribers. So this also, I think, hurt your revenues, your profit for the quarter. It raises a lot of questions about stars. I mean, was Comcast's decision a surprise to you? Do we need to be worried about the rest of your linear subscribers elsewhere? It's a great question. Uh, you know, Comcast was a very unique situation for us. For the most part, and the rest of all of our operators were on the cart. So we were already in a rev share deal where we make a lot of money together and the incentives are aligned together. So in DirecTV, you know, the, the better we do, the better they do. So those incentives are aligned on Amazon, the same thing. Comcast had had, had a much different strategy, packaging strategy than the others long term. And so we were, you know, always part of this big kind of health, health heavy, healthy bundle that, um, you know, that they like. But as the business has changed and pivoted away and consumers have more options now, um, those, you know, and you see what's happening with a traditional business shrinking three to 4% a year, those bundles are starting to shrink pretty significantly. And so when we looked at the business during the renewal, you know, we said, okay, long-term, it's healthier for us to pivot from these bundle deals that are a quick race to the bottom to an a la carte business that we can both make money for it together. And so we've gone now from being a cost center from Comcast to being a revenue center. And I think long-term that makes us a, just a healthier business for the two of us. So, you know, we worked on a, a couple year transition plan that would allow us to transition from bundles to a la carte. Um, we started it on February 11th with the f- premiere of Outlander. In the first six weeks, we've grown to over a million subscribers on the footprint. And as you think about that, and we start to come into the power universe, which is our largest show and our biggest acquisition show, we, we fully believe that we'll be able to get north of two to three million subs on that platform pretty quickly. But doesn't that still leave about three million left behind? Because you had 6.2 on linear Comcast. Yeah, but the the average revenue per customer on Comcast on the 6.2 was so low because of the bundling. That was a deal that was done in 2005. And so we only need a third of the customers on Comcast to actually replace the revenue that we had in an old bundle deal. So, so, so will you be able to grow your OTT subscribers at a rate fast enough to make up for any further linear losses? So the the million over million subs that I talked about was actually linear. Those are a la carte subs on Comcast platform in the first six weeks. So we were able pretty quickly to replace, you know, almost half of what we need to break even um, from where we were before. And so we feel very good about that platform. Uh, their Flex product, I think, is a, is a great uh, competitor to Roku, and we're really excited about working with them on that. Uh, and we think that we can quickly make up, you know, and break even and make more money long-term between the two of us based on the program that we put in place. Uh, we continue to see great growth in the quarter on OTT. Um, we, we grew almost a million one subs in the quarter. Uh, a lot of that was coming in pre-COVID, but then post-COVID, we saw that accelerate. It continues to accelerate into this quarter as well. And so we're, you know, we're seeing great, great growth in terms of transitioning from a, a traditional linear world to this new digital, or I like to call it revenue share world, because we can't forget that the, the linear side, there's a lot of opportunity for premium. Uh, you know, we at most HBO in the heyday of HBO was 33 or 34% penetrated on the traditional business. And so it's not like we were an AMC or a discovery where there's no room to go and it's just shrinking. We'll be right back after this short break. 
Huntsville, Alabama in 1946, a city that was as American as Apple Strudel. From LA Times Studios comes Paperclip, a podcast sponsored by Amazon Studios and inspired by its Emmy-eligible dramatic series Hunters, starring Al Pacino and Logan Lerman. Join host Michael Ian Black as he teams up with a Cold War scholar to explore Operation Paperclip a real-life top-secret program that brought Nazi scientists to the American heartland to work on government aerospace and medical research projects. Available now on Apple Podcasts and all other platforms. Welcome back to Strictly Business. Here's more of my conversation with Star CEO Jeff Hirsch. But I'm wondering how you feel about these, uh, the new distribution partners that you're dealing with, looking at what happened to HBO Max, which recently launched, and you saw had some pretty significant uh, problems in terms of getting some pretty key distribution in place at launch. Should that be giving programmers a pause in terms of the, the, the power dynamic between these distributors and say what it was like with the distributors of old? You know, I think the HBO Max conversation is so unique because they're actually kind of putting more content around an existing product at the same price. And so it's a really unique conversation with the the traditional distributors and some of the new ones. They already have existing deals. Um, And as you know, you know, from your years in the business and my 15 years on that side, you know, anything that you can do to open up a deal and try to save money, you're going to use it to your advantage. And so you know, and a few of our renewals that we've done, there was language that was put in to just kind of make sure that that the operator or the distributor was protected against us doing that similar thing. And so I think it's a very unique kind of point of view. Um, you know, the new operators, the Amazons, the Hulus, the, you know, the Disney Pluses, all these guys, I think ultimately as the world changes, the more it changes, the more it's going to look the same. Um, I think you're going to see people start to bundle up together to compete that you haven't seen before. As you can see now, Disney Plus is selling stars on DisneyPlus.com after you sign up because it's, I think, a really good uh, kind of kind of quasi bundle where the the mother in the home finds stars for Outlander and they get Disney Plus for kids. So I think you'll start to see a bunch of strange bedfellows to a certain extent as the world becomes more competitive, and we feel we're really well positioned to be that complementary partner to everybody. Um, but all these deals, you know, uh, unlike I think traditional Hollywood deals, one side wants to save money and one side wants to make money. And so that you always start off on that foot um, and you just have to be creative together to figure out how you can make money together. But explain that complimentary part, because I think a lot of people might assume this is sort of a zero sum game. You're against Disney Plus, which is against Netflix. But I think there's something in how you've structured stars the price point where you see this as sort of tucking in behind uh, some of the other bigger players in the streaming space. Yeah, I think the world's going to unfold into three tiers of, of SVOD services, you know, and it'll look a lot like the traditional business did years ago, where you have these very large, very broad programming based services like the Netflixes, like the Amazons, like the Hulus, like the HBO Maxes all trying to kind of be that kind of first one in the home really, you know, kids content, ad supported content, news, sports, docu-series, documents, you know, just a very broad, uh, you know, view of content, much like charter was, is today and direct TV and Comcast is and trying to, you know, replace those guys in the home as the first one in the home. 
Um, Stars has never played that role. We've always been this premium, bespoke tier of adult content, very authentic, no ads, um, you know, very deep storylines. When the storyline gets to go very R-rated, it goes very R-rated. We don't have any, and, and we're proud of that. And so we've always been that kind of second tier in the home. When you've got by Charter or DirecTV, you can always add stars on top of. Um, and so that's the role we'll continue to play. And so as people start to pick Hulu for their first, you know, you know, broad-based service in the home, you can buy stars on top. Same thing with Amazon. We're one of Amazon's best partners globally right now because of that. I think you'll see a day where Netflix will, a Netflix stars bundle will show up as well at some point. Um, because I think as everybody starts to figure out how to compete, these complementary services sitting on top of them are things that you're going to need to add not only revenue to your company, but more content. And so we see ourselves as that complementary tier behind all these big broad services. And as I like to say, if we're the number three S-bot in the home and in the 50 countries outside the U.S. and the U.S., that's a great place for stars to live. Well, but then I wonder if the world is heading to, you know, a recession type uh, economic situation, people's disposable income, they're going to be a little stingier. Maybe the number three isn't a great place to be. Well, look, uh, you know, I've spent I've been through two recessions on the cable side. And, you know, when things get tough in people's homes, they tend to stay home. You know, they unfortunately they don't tend to go to the movies and buy a bunch of popcorn and hot dogs for the family. They will kind of revert back to home for their content. And that's a great place for us as well, just like you're seeing in the, the current pandemic. But again, with our price point at eight ninety nine, dollars I think we're very uh, nicely priced based on the fact that we've got almost 90 hours of fresh original content. We've got 4,000 library titles and we've got the Sony pay one. I think it's a really good value proposition uh, to sit behind one of these other services. Don't forget, we have a very, very unique programming strategy. We are focused, hyper-focused on providing, you know, premium content for women and underserved audiences. And nobody else is really doing that today. And so you know, we, we've got this core demo of, of women and African-American women that nobody really has to the extent that we do. We'll continue to program for them in a big way. And so, again, if, if you're in that demo, STARS is, you know, is the service that you want. So, again, we think we play a nice role in the home for that as well. And, and so how, when you look at the larger streaming war, you know, since we last talked last July, Disney Plus is here, HBO Max is here, Peacock is coming. CBS Viacom is going to come, uh, you know, how, you know, you're, you're talking about strange bedfellows. You're talking about tucking in behind some of these other choices, but to this broader marketplace, can this number of players coexist? It's going to be hard. I think you're going to see four to six kind of the four to six broad based services that are going to be, you know, that will survive long term. And then you'll see two or three or four of these premium tuck-ins behind. And then I think you'll have five or six, which is the tier three that we never got to, which is like the acorns and the chillers and then, and the really, you know, IFCs and Sundances that are really niche audiences that, that have a love for it, but that are very loyal. Um, but I think you'll see four to six kind of big broad-based players left. Um, from what I can see from HBO Max today, it looks like it's more of a Disney Plus competitor than it is a Netflix competitor. Um, but again, you know, with the new leadership there coming in two days or whatever before the launch, I'm sure there's going to be some changes coming uh, to the service as well. But again, the better they all do in, in, in getting consumers to to adopt SVOD, the better it is for us tucking in behind them. And we're seeing that outside the U.S., right? As 
you know, we're the, the third biggest US SBOT outside the US. And as Netflix and the Amazons and us kind of get into markets and start to educate people, we're starting to see that behavior follow like it did in the US. Okay. Um, you know, we should also talk about your parent company in Lionsgate. You know, you both uh, separately together have been subject to reports of potential deals, M&A, you know, maybe not in the pandemic climate, but in the longer term could start to pick up again. So is Stars truly plug and play where should it end up within a different company or Lionsgate ends up within a different company? You're well situated. Do you think that far ahead? You know, look, we don't speculate on M&A activity. Uh, Lake Cornbutt used to say to me that if M&A was your strategy, you have no strategy. So, uh, you know, I think we have really, you know, three great businesses. Uh, you know, the, the the home entertainment business in the library right now is probably doing as well as any other part of the business in this pandemic because people are looking for content for their services. And so, like, I think John and Michael built a really great, you know, company with, you know, motion picture, you know, and we've known some of the franchises and TV um, and a 17,000 title library, which has given us the ability to go global very quickly with broad based content and content available, which not a lot of other people have. And so, you know, you look at stars coupled with that, which is our fastest growing domestic app, which I think is still one of the best rated apps in, in, in the U.S., we're now in 50 countries outside the U.S. with a branded channel with a lot of great content. And we have our app in eight countries as well. Um, I think it's a very valuable asset for somebody that is looking, if you're looking to go international, you know, we've done, I think, almost four, 58 deals and launches in 30 countries in 18 months. That's very hard to replicate. And so if you're looking to expand your brand or build something, it's, it's quicker to buy than build. So um, I feel really good about the components of the company and how we're working together. Feel great about the growth on stars globally. And, uh, you know, we'll just continue to head down and, and drive the business as, as planned. But do you need the Lionsgate library at your side in your pocket to, to be what stars is? And what happens if you are split apart from Lionsgate? You know, as in any, you know, inner company, you know, because that sits on the other side of the business, there's there's inner company uh, uh, deals that we have in place uh, that, you know, we're paying Lionsgate, you know, TV for the library. And so if if, in fact, speculated, we're split out, those deals are already in place because we have participants and third parties that we all have to be able to account for stuff back and forth. And so those are already in place when we launched international and we our domestic programming as well. So. Uh, those are in place. Uh, I'm not. That's. I'm not concerned about that. But you know, remember that library, you know, of 17,000 titles plus the stars originals plus the third party we're buying. It gave us the ability to go into you know 30 markets, 31 markets plus the stars play Arabia 19. You know, in under two years. Um, and so there's not a lot of content that that you can get that available that wide that quickly. And so it was a real asset for us to to kind of get into that strategy. Well, speaking of library, Stars recently filed suit against MGM for uh, alleging alleging that they'd been licensing content that you were under the understanding was Stars exclusively. Uh, how how damaging was that to your business? Look, you know, I'm not going to talk about pending, you know, uh, litigation, you know, as as we're in this right now. But I will say, you know, we did, you know, we we have always had exclusive content on the service. I think it's been a hallmark of premium. Um, and, you know, we generally go out and buy only exclusively because of that. And so uh, we'll see, you know, when we get into it, what this looks like. But uh, exclusivity is a very important thing to us. I, I, I would imagine. Um, finally, 
you know, as you look ahead to 2021, uh, even though we're barely through 2020, you know, what do you see as some of the challenges or opportunities facing your business that people may not even necessarily be talking about right now? Well, the production obviously is the one that everybody's talking about right now. Um, you know, I, look, I think it just depends on, you know, the production when we get back. That's a big one. The recession is a big one when, it, you know, we've got 40 million people unemployed right now. And, and what does that mean for our businesses long term? Um, you know, when do the movie theaters open? If they open, what does that mean for slates that are coming up? And and so there's a lot of moving parts in terms of content and consumer, which I think is really, you know, the you know, the piece that I think keeps us up at night. Um, but you know, ultimately, you know, we're very focused on these two key demos and our content strategy is really kind of in our development strategy is really leaning into that. This will be the first year that we'll have something on the air almost every week for both of those two core demos, which should ultimately mean long-term revenue growth accelerates, churn comes down to a much lower number and the business is actually healthier long-term. Um, and I, you know, I don't think we've continued to see struggling getting content because we are so unique in that sense. You know, I think the story that you know that we have, we're putting people on the screen and behind the screen. I mean, sixty-five percent of our showrunners, writers, and directors are women. Of them, forty-one percent are women of color. And so we reflect what we do on the screen, behind the screen. And I think when you tell that story to talent, uh, they want to be a part of it. And so we haven't seen escalations in cost that, that I think others have talked about. Um, but it's ultimately getting that on air and, and really seeing how we can drive the business globally in a big way. Well, wish you luck with that uh, during these tough times. Thanks for taking some time out, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. This has been another episode of Strictly Business. Tune in next week for another helping of scintillating conversation with media movers and shakers. And please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes. Also, leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing. Huntsville, Alabama in 1946, a city that was as American as Apple Strudel? From LA Times Studios comes Paperclip, a podcast sponsored by Amazon Studios and inspired by its Emmy-eligible dramatic series, Hunters, starring Al Pacino and Logan Lerman. Join host Michael Ian Black as he teams up with a Cold War scholar to explore Operation Paperclip, a real-life top-secret program that brought Nazi scientists to the American heartland to work on government aerospace and medical research projects. Available now on Apple Podcasts and all other platforms.